Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and you care for us. We thank you that you gave us your words so that we would know how to worship you and who you are. Help us to see what you want us to see from this as we go into this. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, and I've vacillated a long time this week on how many verses to try to teach today. Uh, the first section was, I think, almost too short, but the next section was almost too long, so we're going to see what God does with the shorter section. So, we're going to read in verse 4 to get context. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, when, when he has ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, what he, what, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first unto the lower parts of the earth? He that ascended is the same also that, he that descended is also the same as that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Having trouble reading today. <laughs> So we're going to look at this. We're going to be in verse 8, 9, and 10. And it says, Wherefore he said, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. There's a lot of controversy as to what captivity captive means. <laughs> and there's two primary interpretations of this. One is that he took us that are, that are enslaved to sin and took us captive to his own way of doing things, which is what I believe. The other is that he descended into hell and took the, the captive and, and the keys, keys to say the hell from Satan, which I don't ever believe that Satan had the keys of hell. He was the king of this world, not the king of hell. And we've talked about that, and I want to re reiterate that. Satan is not the ruler of hell, <laughs> okay? Satan is a prisoner <laughs> in hell when he gets sent there. Okay, he has not been there yet. He will be there in the future, and when he goes, he is not the king. He is not the ruler. He is an inmate. And being in the prison now, I understand how inmates, some of them think they're in charge sometimes, <laughs> but they still do what they're told to do. <laughs> you know, when the guards say you're going back to your rooms or your, your bed, they go back. Uh, they may not like it. They might even give a little flack about it, but eventually they're going to go back to their room or they're going to be locked up in another smaller room <laughs> that they don't get to get out of very often. Well, this is the way it's going to be. Satan is going to be a prisoner. He is not going to be the ruler. And I, I keep going over there because so many Christians and the world think, oh, he's trying to build his kingdom. No, he is trying to build a kingdom on this earth, but he's going to be defeated. And once he's defeated, he is no longer a kingdom. He is going to be an inmate. And so we see this Jesus who ascended. Ascended from what? The grave. Death could not hold him. And we're going to look a little closer at this. Jesus died for our sins, spent three days in death, and resurrected in victory, in took captive. And we see this because Satan was the god of this world. How did he get that? Adam and Eve gave it to him. They were supposed to be the rulers of this world. We were supposed to be the rulers of this world. And Adam and Eve traded it. Traded that power, that authority 
for the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. Tricked, at least Eve was tricked. Adam went willingly, and we don't know why he went. We've covered that at various points. I kind of believe that he didn't want to be separated from his wife, so he went ahead and did partook of the sin. But I also believe that if he had stood strong, that God would have used him to redeem his wife. But be that as it is, they failed. <laughs> and Satan was made the ruler of this world for a time. When Jesus died on the cross, he took that ruling away and said, nope, you don't have it anymore. Now, Satan is in his last throngs. He's, he's a defeated enemy. We're studying the book of Revelation on Tuesday, and if you've read the back, the back of the book, we win. <laughs> or actually, he wins. We win with him. You know, he's going to rule again in a perfect environment for a thousand years. And, you know, it's amazing because what, what does people tell us outside the world? Well, people are basically good. If it wasn't in for bad stuff, they wouldn't sin. Well, the thousand-year reign is going to prove that wrong. <laughs> because at the end of that, they're going to be given one more opportunity to, to rebel. And it doesn't tell us how many rebel, but many will rebel. Because during the millennial kingdom, sin nature still exists for those who made it through the tribulation. It says that Jesus rules with an iron rod. And that just means that anytime somebody thinks about sinning, you know, we talk about thought police, but Jesus can be a thought police. <laughs> somebody thinks about sinning, and there'll be some angels at the door saying, uh, you're not doing what you're thinking about. You're not even going to think about doing wrong and get away with it for a thousand years. So you can imagine at the end of the thousand years, when they get an opportunity to, to rebel, there are going to be a handful of people that are going to be, oh, finally. <laughs> Finally, I get to do what I wanted to do for a thousand years. Can't imagine it myself. But we as Christians, we're going to be very fortunate because we're going to have our new glorified body. We're not going to have a sin nature. We're not going to be tempted. We made our decision on this earth to follow him. He's going to give us our glorified body, and we will rule with him during that period of time. At the end of that time, he destroys everything and starts everything brand new. Are you looking forward to the brand new? I am. I can't imagine what the brand new will be like, but I want the brand new. <laughs> I want no sin. I want no disease. I want no death. But Jesus ascended. He took captive captivity. And you know we were captives before we became to Christ. Sometimes we may still think we're captives. <laughs> How many of us have trouble being obedient to God? <laughs> All of us. <laughs> if you don't, you, I want to talk to you and find out how you've managed to get through this. <laughs> but you know, we have the capability, if we allow him to rule in our life, to not be captive. He's looking to make sure that we're not captives. And he's given us the power to be forgiven, the power to be victorious. Now, we know we won't be victorious in, until we get our new bodies, our glorified bodies. But as we're getting sanctified, and I hope you've noticed this in your walk with God, you should be getting more and more gladly with each passing day. And as I said, we probably don't recognize it day to day. And my example is when you watch your kids grow up. You know, all of a sudden you realize that your kid's gone three or four inches and you, never, you didn't see it. But if you go back home for a family reunion and you see your nieces and nephews and you haven't seen them for six months, a year, two years, it's like, when did you get to be this tall? <laughs> you know, you used to be this tall. That's how we look at our life with Christ. 
I want to look back over a year's period of time and say, am I making more godly decisions? Am I being more godly in my walk? If the answer is no, then I got to look at something and say, number one, do I know God? <laughs> Otherwise, why am I getting, not allowing him to change me? We sang the song last week and we, that we taught, from glory to glory, he's changing me. He is always changing us. We were, should be going forward. There is no going, standing still with God. You are either going forward with him or you're falling away from him. There is no standing still. We need to be going forward, letting him change who we are. And we've talked often about this. It's God changing us. I don't go out and say, I'm going to go change myself. I might try. But if you've ever tried to change yourself, give up some bad habit, give up some sinful area of your life, you're fighting with it, you're working hard at it, and it keeps beating you up. But if you give it to God and he crucifies it, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, and I hope you have, where God has totally crucified some desire in your life. And then you look back and say, oh, I'm not doing whatever it is. I'm not struggling with not doing it. God has just crucified it, and I'm able to walk in victory. Not because I did it. He did it. God's grace. Not of, we're saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that includes our day-to-day -day sanctification. If I'm being sanctified in my own flesh and boasting in it, there's a problem. You know, if I'm saying, well, look at me, people, I gave this up. Have you ever met somebody who gave up cigarettes or drinking or drugs and say, well, I did it with no problem, why can't you? you know, especially if it's your sin nature, they're talking about someplace that you're struggling with. You really want to just smack them upside the head, you know. It's like, you know. It's important for us to understand. When God tells you to give something up, he's going to crucify it as long as you allow it. And I've gone through this many times where God says, are you ready to give this thing up? And I can tell you that many times I said no. I'm getting better to say yes. <laughs> but especially in my younger days, there were a lot of times I said, no, God, I don't want to give this up. And then he'd come back another couple months and said, are you ready to give this up yet? <laughs> and when I finally gave, said yes, he crucified it and that desire was gone. And I haven't had to struggle in that area because God crucified it. But boy, those times when I say, I've got to get rid of this because it's just not right for a Christian to do this. And I struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. It's a miserable way to live. You know, I hear people tell me all the time that, you know, I'm trying hard to be a good Christian. My answer is quit trying. Let God crucify the flesh. I don't need to try and I don't want people trying to be a good Christian. The Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit crucifies the flesh, and the Holy Spirit lives out of us. He does the work. He does the changing. And if it doesn't, if it's not him doing the changing, it's worthless anyway. Because God tells us that our, all our good works are worthless. Isaiah 64, 64 6 says that our, all our righteousness is filthy rags. So if I think I'm doing something good for God, he's going to say, all I see is a bunch of rags. You know, dirty, filthy, stinking rags, no, no less. God ascended. Jesus ascended to keep captivity captive. We are no longer slaves and prisoners to sin. 
we can theoretically <laughs> live a perfect life. We won't <laughs> because we can't give God enough of us. But theoretically, if we gave everything we had, we would be like Enoch or Elijah and God saying, okay, you're about as perfect as you can be. I'm going to take you home. Wouldn't that be great? You know, just you're walking down the road, walking down the road, and all of a sudden God says, okay, come home. It's coming soon anyway. We're going to have the rapture soon where this was going to happen. Then it goes on to say that he gives gifts to all men. We talked about that a couple of verses ago, and we will talk about it next week. God gives gifts. And you know what? God's not stingy. He is not stingy with his gifts. He is not saying, well, I think they only should have this small eyedropper full of gifts. We talked a couple weeks ago. He fills us. And that word for fill is pleroma. We are filled to the top and then over. God gives us gifts that splash all over to everybody else around us. He has not given us a gift that we can use for ourselves. He wants it to splash all over the rest of the church, all over the rest of the world that we go out. He gives us a love. Do you realize how precious love is? True, agape, unconditional God love where we choose to love somebody. And he gives it and he fills us so full that it splashes all over everybody around us. And we show them love. We all know how precious love, true love is. And we're not talking about manipulative love. You know, we're not talking about that dating love where somebody gets, puts on their best face and their best actions and, and tries to get what they want out of their relationship from the other person. We're talking about that love that says, I'm going to love you whether you deserve it or not. The love that holds marriages together when things get hard. When somebody has chosen to love the individual that they're getting married to. And you know, if you choose to love somebody, the only way you're not going to love them is to choose not to love them. When I counsel people who want to get married, I start teaching them, this is what love is. Have you chosen to love this person, or are you just infatuated with this person? If you're infatuated or in lust, I'm not going to marry that person. Because it will only last as long as the infatuation and the feelings last, and then they go, well, never loved you, and they're true. They never loved them, and they get divorced. It must be love that says, I choose to love. Our Christian love is that love that I choose to love the people in the church, the other Christians, the other body members. Are they perfect? Nope. Are they easy to get along with? Not all of them. <laughs> Are some of them really downright hard to get along with and love? Absolutely. But God says, love them anyway. Love them, build them up, edify them. That's part of the gift he gave us. Because our flesh won't do it. Our flesh won't love unconditionally. But we are to love. That's the one gift that we all have. Then he goes, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? This scripture is very controversial. <laughs> there are four basic interpretations for this. One is that Jesus just left heaven and came to earth which is a great lowering for the God of the universe to become human. The other one is that he just became human. Others is that the other one believes that it is referring to his death. And then the fourth verse, definition is that he actually descended into hell and went into hell and brought captivity out. I do not believe the last one. I never have. 
Uh, there's lots of verses where people will point to that, but the only way that you can come to, you know, that determination is that you believe it first. I want at this point I want to be careful. When you're reading scriptures, don't put in what you believe <laughs> into what you're reading. I had a pastor one time. He going, this verse proves the pre-tribulation rapture. Now I'm a pre-tribulation rapture person, but I looked at the verse and I'm going, there's nothing in this verse that proves that the pre-tribulation rapture, unless you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, <laughs> and apply it. You talk to people who believe in Calvinism, which is that God decides whether, who's going to go to heaven and hell before. And they'll read all their verses, and then you'll ask them, well, what do you do with uh, whosoever will verses? <laughs> and there's lots of whosoever will, will be saved. And you know, if they're very strong Calvinists, they'll go, well, that means whosoever will that God is called. Now I go, you can't add those words in there. You can't add what you believe in there to make it what you believe. And my challenge for us is we read the Bible, read it for what it says. Don't try to squeeze in what you think it says to make it say what you want. Because I've been wandering with God for over 40 years in study. And you know what? I've gone to different churches. I've all shared with you. I've been in many different denominations. And it amazes me how each denomination can take the same verse and come up with a totally different meaning for it. Words mean what they mean. Now, the key on this is we've got to remember we're reading the translation. We want to find out what it means in the Hebrew or the Greek, and then we can say, no, this is what it means. We know that there's eternal salvation. Why? Because God puts most of the salvation verses in what's called the AORS tense. It happens once and continues forever. Okay? So when you read it in Greek, it's real clear. <laughs> in English, it may not be so clear. But we know certain things are true. We know that once we're saved, we have eternal life. And I've shared with you right off the bat, eternal life means eternal life. It doesn't mean I have eternal life until God decides not to give me eternal life and takes it away. Eternal life is eternal life. But here we see that Jesus descended. And whatever verse of these four choices you want to believe, it really doesn't matter. Because he still descended. It says these verses clearly tell us that he existed forever. He existed in heaven. Now, most of us know some people in a particular religion that believes that all people existed in heaven then came to this earth and had bodies and had to go live, live a life. You know, they're wrong. <laughs> that is not a true, there aren't spirit babies hanging around heaven waiting for bodies. Uh, and, but we are on this world. Jesus came to this world because he has always existed. We read it just a couple weeks ago. All things were created through Jesus. The Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit co-created everything. And so we want to be able to get that mind into it. He existed. He was listed, existed forever, and he came to this world. Now, if you think, think about what heaven is, our goal as Christians should be looking for heaven. I'm looking for heaven. I agree with Paul. Right now, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm not going to go out and get myself there <laughs> on my own strength. But if God says, it's time to go to heaven, I'm going to say, thank you. I'm ready to go. <laughs> give me the new body. Give me no disease. Give me no pain. Give me, give me a memory that's going to remember everything I learn. It's terrible learning things and forgetting it. And learning them again and forgetting them. And learning them again and forgetting them. <laughs> 
we get to heaven, we're going to learn it one time and we'll remember for all of eternity. But it'll be good. God's purpose on this earth for us to be able to forget is good because you would not want to remember all the pain that we went through, all the hardships that we went to. When we get to heaven, there's no pain, no hardships for us to have to forget. So it's good that we'll remember. But Jesus came from this perfect environment, lived a life on this world. Can you picture how hard that would be? How hard that would be to have been in heaven forever to come to this earth. Now we think it's bad enough sometimes ourselves and we've never been to heaven. Imagine what it would be like to have been in heaven and come back. You know, when I read the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead, I am so sad for Lazarus. You know, he was in heaven, enjoying life in heaven and made to come back to this world. I hope that Jesus wiped his memory of heaven so that he didn't have to suffer. Because I can't imagine what it would be like to try to live knowing there was something so much better and being, being brought back. And I believe that God probably did wipe his memory of most of the heaven, or at least the part that would make him you know, be in despair. But Jesus came from heaven to this world knowing that he came to be a sacrifice. Knowing that he was going to pay the ultimate price. Knowing that he was going to be separated from the Father on the cross when he became sin. And we've talked about how that would be. A union that had been together for all of eternity, broken. Broken. The Father and the Spirit turning their back on Jesus on the cross because he became sin. Why did he become sin? For us. He took the sin of the world upon himself and the Father turned his back on him. We can't imagine the pain of that. You know, we might be able to begin, and as I said often, begin to understand if you've been married for a long time to somebody you truly love and they die. Maybe if you can think back to your very first love, the, the one you fell for really, really hard, and it broke up. And how some people will pine away for days, weeks, you know, months after that breakup. But that's only the smallest fraction of what Jesus went through on the cross. To be separated from the Father. And then he was resurrected for us. And here's where it says he descended. That descending enough would be painful enough. And the idea that he went into hell has is, is been brought out mostly by the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And if you don't know those, it's, they're, they're creeds that were put together. The problem with those creeds, even though it says Apostles' Creed, it was written in 300 AD, three centuries after Jesus was on this world. So, and it was not something that was brought out. And the Nicene Creed was also done in the 300 ADs. And they both talk about him descending into hell and, and coming back out. But those are the only places that say that, that clear. If you want to believe it's that, I'm not going to have a problem with it. It's one of those things that are not that important to us. And I've told you many times, you know, over the years I've learned a couple of things. 
There's a lot of discrepancies, a lot of arguments that people make in the Bible. I've also learned that very few of them are that important. One of them that I have important is, this is God's word. It's inerrant. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> if it's not, throw it away. Go live however you want, because if it's, not, if it's not perfect and can't be trusted, we have nothing to stand on. The other one is that Jesus Christ is the, son of, the one and only Son of God. He is God, co-equal to God, and that he died for our sins and was resurrected. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot that's worth arguing over. You know, churches have split over silly little arguments about scripture that have nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with eternity. Now, some of them are fun. If you can talk about something, some of those with people, they can be fun to talk about. But I am one that if somebody's going to say, this is something I'm going to live or die for, <laughs> I'm going to go, okay, you know, have fun believing it. I'm not going to sit there and argue with you. I've had a lot of good Pentecostal friends that I've had a lot of good discussions with on what they believe and what I believe. And I had fun with them and, and talked with them. But if they are saying, well, this is a life or death issue, okay, you have your life or death issue and we'll talk about something else. <laughs> but again, word of God, Jesus, who he is and what he did, those are life or death issues because they are eternal issues. There's not much more beyond that that's, that's a issue that says, I'm going to Plant my flag here, and you've got to believe this or else. Well, we'll get to heaven, and we'll find out who's right. <laughs> you know, and it'll only be one heaven. You know, God doesn't have heaven segregated. You know, here's where the Baptists go, and the Pentecostals go, and the <laughs> Presbyterians go. You know, he doesn't have a whole segregated heaven. It's going to be we all go to the same place because we're the bride of Christ. And when we get there, he'll, he'll straighten out all of our wrong beliefs. And you know what? He's also not going to say, you did a great job believing the right stuff. <laughs> there may be rewards for how we pre how the, the work we're going to let him do, we'll get rewarded for. He's gonna, he wants us to study. He wants us to draw close to him. But we want to be careful with how, how desperate we hold on to our cherished beliefs. Because if you get too tied into some of your beliefs, then you're going to interpret everything you read according to that belief. And you may miss some very interesting things when God says, I want to show you something. <laughs> I want to show you something that you can change. I want to show you this information. It doesn't mean that things aren't important. You know, it is important that we're baptized in the, in, the, in the Spirit and the Spirit changes us. It is important that we're going to go to heaven at, at the end of our life. It is important that we're coming to the end days and that there will be a rapture. I believe it's pre-trib, but if somebody wants to believe it's mid-trib, post-trib, or non-trib, that's up to them. <laughs> I don't care. It's not going to be the end of the world to me. If I have to go through part of the tribulation, if I'm wrong and I go through part of the tribulation, you know what? God's going to give me the grace to go through it. And I'm not worried about it because he's still in charge. You know, God is never surprised by what's going on in our life. Jesus came. He saved us. He's delivering us from captivity. He is ruling. We are his kingdom on earth. Our job is to share the gospel. The simple gospel. We are sinners. <laughs> we deserve punishment. Jesus paid for that punishment. That's the gospel. That's really the only thing that's important that's life and death. If somebody wants to say, well, I can get to heaven by by following Buddha. Okay, you try to get to heaven following Buddha and go through your million tra transitional lives and keep getting reincarnated 
and going forward and backward and up and down and backwards and forwards and trying to get to enlightenment. Not going to get you to heaven. No. I want to get to heaven by all my good works. Oh, you be my guest. You stand before God in, in filthy rags and see how close to heaven you get. I'm going to stand in the righteousness of Christ because he paid the price. It's important for us. Those certain things that are important for us. Do we want to walk according to God's way? Do we want to be sanctified? Of course. <laughs> of course we want to be more and more sanctified. We want to walk in a good testimony. We want people to look at us and say, that's somebody who is truly Christian. Because they'll notice. The people will know, around you will notice. I loved it in the workplace when people would look at me when stress happened and going, how can you still have a smile on your face? Oh, thank you for asking. Let me tell you all about Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah. You ask, I'm going to answer. And I was the boss, so I couldn't really initiate in most of those places because I worked for corporations, so I couldn't initiate. But boy, once they asked, they got the gospel. And I usually gave it to them loud enough so others heard it. But important for us, do our neighbors know that we're Christian? Do our co-workers know we're Christian? Do our family, does our family really know that we're Christians? Or do they know that we maybe say we're a Christian, but we don't act like a Christian? We all know people like that that say they're a Christian, and you look at their life and going, wow, I hope that that's not how people see me. <laughs> because of their language, their action, the sins that they participate in. I'm not saying they're not a Christian, but they're not showing it. We need to be Christians who show our love, show Christ to people around us, because that's an important thing. How we walk is important. It's not a heaven or hell issue, because Jesus Christ is the Savior. How they walk, yeah. But how do we walk? Do people see Christ when we walk? How are they going to see him? He comes in, he crucifies us, and he lives anew. We are a new creation when we're saved, and we need to live in that, the power of that creation, and it's only through God that will allow that. We're going to end here with some prayer and sing a, our last couple songs. Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you go with us and guide us, lead us. Help us to be sanctified. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them that they are a sinner, that they deserve hell, that you died for them. And all they have to do is confess that they're a sinner, they, that they deserve punishment, and they accept your gift. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for everything you've given us. We ask you to go with us as we go forward today. In Jesus' name, amen.